Good morning, everyone. My cell phone's off, silent mode. Yeah. It is truly a privilege to bring God's word to God's people and to those that God directs to hear this word. I've entitled the message this morning, uh, The Color of Hope. And uh, I'd like to introduce that to you in this way. But before I do, let's look to the Lord in prayer once again. Heavenly Father, thank you for the power of your word, and the power of the gospel. For we are not ashamed of the gospel because it is the very power that changes our lives. And we so gladly proclaim it and share it with others. And thank you for this pulpit that has shared and has proclaimed your truth and that your spirit has gone forth to bless and to bring salvation to those that you've called unto yourself and they walk with Christ. May it be no different this morning as we open up the word today. Go before us. Go before this word. Open the hearts of your people. Open the scriptures. And bring glory to your name and depth of faith and understanding to each listening heart here today. For it's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. In his book, Scott McKnight um, expressed his appreciation for the color of yellow. It's not one of his favorite colors, but it is a color that uh, the famous Dutch artist, Vincent van Gogh. How many have heard of Vincent van Gogh? Okay, so you recognize some of his paintings. Vincent was born under the most tragic of circumstances. Exactly one year before his own birth, Vincent's mother delivered a stillborn son, and his name was Vincent. The second Vincent was born exactly one year later, and mom and dad named him Vincent. But sadly, Vincent never experienced the tender loving care uh, that his mother, uh, of motherly love, it never came to him. Sadly, this famous artist, the son of a Dutch Reformed pastor, who at an early age, this is Vincent, desired to be like his father, but he was born with a brain lesion and suffered from various types of epilepsy, psychotic attacks, and, and delusions. Lacking self-confidence, Van Gogh struggled with the truth that God loved him, even though he was brought up in a Christian home. Nevertheless, he did turn his life around as he came to embrace the truth of God's word, but not without struggles, not without his depression, not without times of admission in asylums, not without uh, times where he was self-destructive. Nevertheless, he did find hope in God's word. And he gave this newfound hope a color in his work, the color of yellow. And while it is possible that the prescribed medication that Vincent was receiving during that time could have caused or been the reason for his 
seeing through yellow lens eyes, if you will. Um, nevertheless, he continued to put his trust in the Lord. Yellow, for Vincent van Gogh, invoked hope, and this showed up in his paintings, particularly the starry night. And you've seen that swirling, that skyline and the swirling stars. You know, Vincent believed that truth was evident in nature and was present in nature. But tragically, there is a church in the center of this painting, the starry night, that at its windows, there is no light. There is no yellow. It was as if he was making a statement, my understanding is, Where's the hope? Where's the light that should be coming from the truth, or rather coming from the church? I'm grateful that the truth is in here with you, Christ living in you, and it's coming through your, your pastor, uh, a godly shepherd. And I have more to say on that toward the end of the message. But like Vincent van Gogh, many people today whose fears have fears that overwhelm their faith, Fear that overwhelms your faith. And there, are, there is confusion that dulls our understanding of Scripture. Sometimes a confusion can hide the, the understanding or blur the understanding that we have of the Scripture. And consequently, hope fades from our lives. It happens all around us. Let me paint some scenarios for you. There are families who have buried their live ones or loved ones. Not live. That would not be good. I'm reading. Um, I thought I could get away without reading, uh, wearing my, my glasses. But um, I'm of that age where now I, I need to see things more clearly, print-wise. And uh, so they do help. There we are. But there are families today who have buried their loved ones, yet some folks are still unable to overcome their loneliness and sorrow. Their prolonged grief stays with them. And yet it's simply what I believe an intense expression of their love for the loved one that is no longer with them. The trauma of COVID these past two years has painfully destroyed lives and families, homes, churches, our nation and many other nations. And the list goes on. COVID. There are some of you who have been diagnosed with a terminal disease, and you know your time is limited. Some married couples who have, been, who have loved one another have ended up in divorce. The tearing of two souls that have become one it's a very painful experience, and they lose hope. And where can they find comfort? Still, other folks have suffered personal losses due to storms or accidents, fires, and there are many other reasons. And then there's the war in Eastern Europe, and it's revealed the wicked and the savagery, cruelty unleashed on men, women, and children, those people, I can only imagine it. Where's their hope? Do they have any hope? And still some folks find themselves in bondage to sinful practices. 
and they cry out, oh God, help me. There is hope for them. There's hope for all of us. <clears throat> In each of these scenarios, and many more like them, the burdens of life and sorrow, losses and pain do crush people, and their hope fades away. I'm leading up to the two men on the road to Emmaus because they lost hope. And I'm going to talk about how they lost hope, but how hope also rekindled their lives. Someone has said that a man can live 40 days without food, three days without water, eight minutes without air, or one second without hope. Satan offered a false hope in, there, in the very beginning when he said to Eve, surely you will not die. What a liar. Jesus called him a murderer and a liar, and that is exactly what he is. Tragically, Satan's lie led to death and separation from God because Satan is that murderer and liar. But with Jesus, he is the way, he is the truth, he is the life. No one can come to the Father except through Jesus. There are no other faith traditions, no other world religions that offer eternal life and hope and salvation. Jesus and Jesus alone. He is the one. And by his resurrection from the dead, Jesus vanquished, conquered, won the victory over sin, over death. Jesus took the sting of the grave away from us, restored our lives, to a living relationship, an intimate relationship with the Father, and will one day destroy the works of the devil. I cannot wait for that day. But meantime, we have hope that helps us to endure the trials and tribulations of life. Your presence here this morning is not a coincidence. God has directed your steps to hear this message and to see your need for a lasting hope, or perhaps maybe your hope needs rekindling. We all need hope, and this hope does not, does not come from the world. This hope that we're looking for and that our nation is looking for is not coming in 2022 elections. No political party is going to give us that hope, not at all. This hope isn't coming from a charismatic leader. No, this hope is coming from Jesus Christ alone and the unfolding of his word. So you hang in there. As a dear friend who once said to me, who is now at home with the Lord, he said to me often, you keep your courage up. You keep your courage up. He was 92 when he passed. And uh, that's another story that perhaps an opportunity to share with you will come about. But of all the resurrection accounts of Jesus, and there are at least 10 distinct appearances of Jesus from his resurrection to the ascension, none is more illustrative than Luke's account of the two disciples on their way home to Emmaus. Their hopes and their expectations were dashed when they saw their beloved rabbi die on a cross. However, hope was renewed 
when they met the resurrected Lord, although their eyes were not yet opened, but their hearts burned as Jesus was unfolding the scriptures for them. Like these two disciples, there are times when we have allowed fear to overwhelm our faith. There are times when we have allowed confusion to cloud our understanding. What's going on in our world today? I do believe that the church needs to be like the, the elders of Issachar, the men of Issachar who were able to discern the times in which they live, but they're only able to do so through the understanding of Scripture. This may sound rather painful to hear, but I do believe our country is under judgment. God is sovereign. He, is, he reigns. And one of the prayers that I heard this morning, someone prayed and thanked God for his sovereignty and reigning over our world and every authority that exists is appointed by God. God, I don't understand what's going on. I do. I think I do. But our country is in, is in a, for a difficult time. Maybe you're hoping that things are going to go back to the way they were two years ago, maybe with the, two, the 2022 election, the results that might come about. Uh, are they going to reverse our trend and it's going to be good times again? No, don't place your hope there. Place your hope in Christ and Christ alone. The difficult times that come are there to help us strengthen our faith and to be that light, to be that light in a world that's full of darkness. People who do not know Christ are putting their hope in 2020, a 2022 election. But you who know Christ, you know better. You know better. So with that, let me read the account for you because to unpack the scriptures, you must first hear the scripture, know the scripture. I'm going to read for you Luke chapter 24, beginning at verse 13. And I'm going to end at um, verse 35. Now behold, two of them were traveling that same day to a village called Emmaus, which was about seven miles from Jerusalem. And they talked together of all these things which had happened. And so it was, while they conversed and reasoned, that Jesus himself drew near and went with them. But their eyes were restrained, so that they did not know him. And he said to them, What kind of conversation is this that you have with one another as you walk and are sad? Then one whose name was Cleopas answered and said to him, Are you from Mars? No, it's not what the text says. <laughs> Are you the only stranger in Jerusalem? And have you not known the things which happened there in these days? And he, Jesus, said to them, What things? <laughs> and they said to him, The things concerning Jesus of Nazareth who was a prophet, mighty in deed and word before God and all the people. And now the chief priest and our rulers delivered him to be condemned to death and crucified. 
But we were hoping that he was going to redeem Israel. Indeed, beside all this, today is the third day since these things happened. Yes, and certain women of our company who arrived at the tomb early astonished us. When they did not find his body, they came saying that they had seen a vision of angels and said he was alive. And certain of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said. But him they did not see. I love this part. Then he said to them, O foolish ones, and slow of heart to believe in all that the prophets have spoken. Ought not the Christ to have suffered these things and to enter into his glory? And beginning at Moses and all the prophets, he expounded to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. Then they drew near to the village where they were going, and he indicated that he would, he would go he would have gone farther. But they constrained him, saying, Abide with us, for it is toward evening, and the day is far spent. He went in to stay with them. Now it came to pass, as he sat at the table with them, that he took bread, blessed and broke it, and gave it to them. Then their eyes were opened, and they knew him, and he vanished from their sight. And I think the favorite verse in this chapter is this. And they said to one another, Did not our hearts burn within us while he talked with us on the road and while he opened the scripture to us? So they rose up that very hour, returned to Jerusalem, and found the eleven, and those who were with them gathered together, saying, the Lord has risen indeed and has appeared to Simon. And they told about the things that had happened on the road and how he was known to them in the breaking of bread. Gracious God, again, bless the public reading of your awesome word. Amen. The account to which I have referenced, obviously Luke 24, the story of two disciples who were not the two of the eleven but are considered to be of the seventy because Jesus had other disciples and they were with the eleven as well. Two days earlier Jesus had hung on a cross for six hours before he died and all of Jesus's acquaintances and the women who had followed him from Galilee stood at a distance watching the events unfold on a hill called Calvary. Fear of the religious authorities, fear of being arrested, fear that they might even experience the same fate as Jesus, they kept their distance and they watched this event from afar. For these disciples, fear was overwhelming their faith, and confusion had dulled their understanding of the scriptures. Their hope was fading away. We saw that in the exchange between the two disciples on the road to Emmaus. While fear 
within the disciples outweigh their faith during these dark hours, there are two secret believers who quietly, along with some Galilean woman, went to Pilate. Who were those two secret believers? Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus. Remember Nicodemus from chapter 3 when Jesus said, ye must be born again. And Nicodemus was a teacher of Israel. And Jesus was saying, you're a teacher? And you don't know what it means to be born again? I believe he was pointing to Ezekiel chapter 36. But that's for another time. But check it out. Check it out what the Old Testament prophets said about the need of being born again and what, is, what takes place within one's heart. Nevertheless, they found enough courage, that is, Joseph of Arimathea, Nicodemus, several of the women. They secured Jesus' body because they desired to give Jesus' body a proper burial. Here's a central idea that I believe emerges from this text. When fear overwhelms our faith and confusion dulls our understanding of the truth, the truth of Scripture, there is hope. There is resurrection hope for the troubled heart. And are your hearts troubled? You know, I'm reminded of Jesus' words to his disciples on the eve of his crucifixion. Jesus had gathered together his, dis his disciples. And he saw the troubled look on their face they, when they finally understood that he was going to die. He saw their troubled looks and he said, let not your hearts be troubled. You believe in God? Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many dwelling places. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself. And where I am, there you may be also. Jesus sees your troubled hearts and he cares deeply for you. And he sends preachers and teachers into your life. He sends the Holy Spirit. He gives you the Holy Spirit who enlightens the word of God and enables you not to have a troubled heart. This central idea, though, when fear overwhelms our faith and confusion dulls our understanding, there is hope, resurrection hope for the troubled heart. This occurs when these three conditions exist. First condition is this, when our faith is weakened by sorrow. I'm going to unpack that in just a moment. A second condition is when our faith is bound by sight. When our faith is bound by sight. And thirdly, when our hearts desire to see Christ, or when our hearts desire the presence of Christ. So let's unpack that first condition. When our faith is weakened by sorrow. Oh. Need I talk to you about sorrow? You've all have had sorrow. Your eyes have shed many tears. Here it is, Sunday morning. The resurrection of Christ occurred, but these two disciples are seven miles away from Jerusalem, and they're continuing in the opposite direction from Jerusalem. They've watched Roman and Jewish authorities crucify their rabbi. They saw Jesus die. 
And like other disciples, they were too afraid of the, uh, of the authority, so they put a lot of distance, and that distance was increasing. <laughs> it's amazing that after Jesus revealed himself, how their fear dissipated, and they closed in on Jerusalem, and they went to the very disciples because they had seen the resurrected Lord. But very early on that morning, as they journeyed from Jerusalem, the scripture says they were talking with one another. Their sense of talk was not an arguing back and forth, but rather I believe they were really arguing with themselves what they believed. Was it true any longer? The very pillars of their faith were shaken. Have you ever had that experience when you thought, and I know for me as a young man, when I first came to Christ, there were certain pillars of faith. And then I had a Christian who challenged me on those pillars of faith that I had established in my, my, in my own soul. And I began to see in my mind these pillars crumble. They weren't really godly pillars of truth. But God was rebuilding my faith, if you will. God gave me that faith and my faith those pillars of truth were established because scripture was brought home to me more clear. Nevertheless, they were arguing with themselves because the foundation of their faith had been shaken to its core. Maybe their conversation was going along, going along something like this. What happened last Friday? What did we see? I thought he said he was the son of God. Well, what about all the miracles? We witnessed those miracles, and we heard his teachings. Is this all true? Have we been fooled? Did we miss something? Is he really God? What did he say? But he said this. I mean, there was just utter confusion going on in their lives. I don't know about you, but I can certainly identify with these disciples how often have we felt alone and pain and uh, no peace when we have gone through some very traumatic times and suffering? We've lost loved ones and we say, where are you, God? I used to say that when I was a young Christian. I don't say that now because I know better. I've grown in my faith. But there are times when people will cry out and say, where are you, God? Oh, to that dear saint, let me encourage you to grow in your faith and grow in your understanding of the word. But when tragedy strikes suddenly, or when things seem out of control in your life, and your life is swept away, like the story of Job, you know Job, or when all protective measures you built around you have collapsed, when life doesn't go the way you thought it would. Yeah, I've had some significant disappointments in my life. Yeah, my wife and I have been through much, and uh, she's listening right now. Hi, hon. <laughs> she wishes she could be here. Anyway... When hope begins to fade, there is a promise from Joshua. Joshua chapter 1, verse 9. And though the promise was given to Joshua, 
I do believe that that promise is also for us as well. Do you know what the promise is? It says, be of good courage. Do not be afraid, nor be dismayed, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. When you go through the trials and tribulations of life, Jesus is walking with you. He was with the three friends of Daniel when they were cast into the furnace of fire. They didn't die. They weren't burned. Not even a hint of, of smoke was upon their garments. But Jesus was with them. And Jesus will always be with his followers. He said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. You hold on to that promise. And again, as my friend Frank would say, you keep your courage. You keep your courage. Listen, my brothers and sisters, the work of God that he has begun in you, he has promised to complete it until the day of Christ's coming. Or when we're called home. Philippians 1.6 When fear overwhelms our faith and confusion dulls our understanding, there is hope. There is resurrection hope for the troubled heart. And here's a second condition where this truth is revealed. When our faith is bound by sight. Our faith oftentimes is bound by sight. We look at what we see and we try to understand and interpret what we see instead of going to the scriptures. I find these actions of the Lord simply amazing. Jesus is rescuing two sorrowful disciples from despair and depression because their faith was bound by what they could see. After the resurrected Lord first appeared to Mary, he left their presence and he went and intercepted these two disciples on the road to Emmaus and engaged them. I'm going to read an account from Mark because Luke, Luke gives us details, but Mark gives us some other details. Mark chapter 16, verses 9 through 13. The scripture says, when he, Jesus, rose early on the first day of the week, he appeared first to Mary Magdalene, out of whom he had cast seven demons. She went and told those who had been with him as they mourned and wept. And when they heard that he was alive and had been seen by her, they did not believe. After that, Jesus appeared in another form to two of them as they walked and went into the country. And they, the two disciples that were on the road to Emmaus, and they went and told to the rest. But they did not believe them either. Their hearts were sorrowful because their faith had been bound by sight and not by scripture. Consequently, when our faith in scripture is poor and, and we understand it poorly or we don't even know it, we can't see Christ. We have no hope. You know, when Jesus was walking with his disciples and he was unfolding the scriptures to them about himself, do you feel, you feel that, that burning passion? They said to one another after Jesus appeared to them and then left, did not our hearts burn inside when he opened those scriptures? Let me tell you something. Uh, I'm going to give you a, a personal illustration. Um, 
recently, my, that my soul, my soul had floundered for some time uh, as I was no longer part of a church family. I love Grace Fellowship and the folks here. But I wasn't connected to a church. And I'll tell you, it got easier and easier to stay away from the church. But something else was happening in my soul. I began to feel uneasy, began to feel disconnected. I said, this is not good. I felt like I was drifting away. Jonathan's father, Pastor Vale. I've known Pastor Vale for 32 years. We're dear friends. He knew my struggles. He invited me. We came here today, I mean, that first time, as Pastor Brian mentioned. And I sat here, and I listened. I said, this was good. This was good. Pastor Vale went on, and I kept coming and making it a habit to be connected to the church here. And in the weeks that followed, I want you to know, brother, God used you to rekindle my soul. Mm. Just like the preachers of past have preached the word, and you're hungry, your soul has been rekindled. We sang hymns. I sat in that back row. We sang hymns. And um, there were times when my eyes just filled with tears. Tears of joy. I was happy. Found a home. I'm grateful. It is not good, the scripture says, for man to be alone. And God sends a helpmate to them. And I'll add, it is not good for a Christian to be separated from a church family. It's not God's design. It's God's design to keep us connected. We need one another. And brother, you keep preaching the way you're preaching. You continue to set my soul aflame. And I hope that each and every one of you have your hearts, that your hearts burn as Pastor Brian unpacks the word of God. Truly, he's a gift to you. God has given you a good man, a good teacher, a good preacher, and he needs your prayers. Back to the text. After Jesus had asked the manner, uh, what was the matter with these two disciples, and the reason for their sad conversation, Cleopas, you heard what, he, what I said. He said to the, to the disciples, are you the only stranger in Jerusalem and you have not known these things which have happened? You know what I find ironic about this exchange between Jesus and these two disciples? Is that um, they were pretty much, they were ignorant of who Jesus is, but they didn't recognize their own ignorance and they called Jesus, are you ignorant? <laughs> pretty much, Jesus, ignorant? No. He knows all things, but you know, the way he handled them was so gentle, so gracious, so patient. He didn't rebuke them. 
He knew exactly where they were. And, I mean, this passage is filled with applications. No matter the struggles going on in your heart, the confusion, you can pour your heart out to him. And he is not going to snuff out that smoldering wick. Or he is not going to break off that, that wee, that twig that's kind of bent. God knows our frailty. And he is so patient with us. Jesus listened to these men whose hearts were slow to believe. And I suspect there were times when our hearts are slow to believe. Yeah, they are. They are. And while they saw a glimpse of the cross, they did not understand what they saw. What did they see? They saw that, according to Luke 24, 19 through 22, they saw that Jesus was a prophet, mighty in deed and word. They saw the injustice that Jesus experienced. They saw the crucifixion. They were hoping for the redemption of Israel, meaning they were hoping that Jesus was going to cast out this political party that was ruining their nation. Do we have thoughts like that too? We do. We do. But our hope is in him, not a political party. They saw the third day but did not understand it. They saw and heard the women say they had a vision of angels, but they didn't know what that meant. And they saw an empty tomb but did not know the significance. They were unable to unable to understand scripture because they were slow to believe. I think we need to be um, like the saints of Berea that examined the scriptures. When Pastor Brian preaches the word, bring your Bible with you, read along, follow along, take notes, and examine to see if what he says is true. And if it's so, embrace it and run with it, all, run with it with all your heart. Because the scripture says faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. When fear overwhelms our faith and confusion dulls our understanding, there is hope, resurrection hope for the sorrowful heart. But there's a third and my last condition that I take from the text. When our hearts desire his presence, hope that God gives to us comforts our sorrowing heart. Jesus and these two disciples had now reached their destination. The days drawing to an end. Their hearts were burning with desire to know. And Jesus had made himself known to them. Their hope had been rekindled. And my hope has been rekindled through the fellowship here. Through your pastor's preaching and through the friendliness of this church family and the love of other Christians, Brian, Sandy, Pat, Jen, Richard. And I met a new friend. Your fr don't, don't say. Betty, I wrote it down. I just learned this morning that Betty used to work with my wife years ago when my wife was at the emergency room at Central Maine Medical. I can't wait to tell Sally that I met you, and I hope you get a chance to see her. The body of Christ is beautiful. 
Christ is working in us and drawing us closer to one another. Their hope was rekindled. Their faith was alive because Jesus is alive. And God reveals himself to us when scripture is explained to us. So Pastor Brian, keep on explaining, expounding on the word of God. And when, it ha when you do that, there is a greater desire for God's intimate fellowship. There is a greater recognition of God's person. There is a greater passion for the things of God. There's greater hope, whatever the circumstances. I don't know what circumstances you're facing, what difficulties you're going to encounter in these next several months, but Jesus is with you, and you keep drawing near to him, and he will draw near to you. There's greater faith. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God, and there's greater ministry and abundant fruit. You see this throughout chapter 24. But why do these results occur? Simply stated right from the text, verse 31, God opens our eyes. My preaching is not clever, it's not brilliant, but it comes from our heart. It comes from the truth, it's real. God opens our eyes. God opens the scripture. God opens our understanding. God opens our mouths. God opens our hearts, and as he did in Lydia's heart, Acts chapter 16, verse 14. God opened her heart to receive the word. And God continually humbles himself to renew us for ministry. Yeah. He uses imperfect beings like you and me to bring forth words of life to those who have no hope. So, my conclusion, two applications and one illustration. Nobody ever wants seasons of difficult, hard times to come upon their lives. But when these times come, and they will come, they're promised to us from Romans chapter 5. These seasons are designed by God to shape us into the people of God. The trials of life force us to ask these three questions though. Number one, what am I really counting on? Myself, my abilities, my education, my resources? God can wipe that all away. What am I really trusting in? Another question, am I building my life on a foundation that is solid enough and that will not move when the circumstances of life are so challenging? you know, and beyond my control? Am I going to be able to stand firm on the rock? Or, let me, let me rephrase it another way. When all hell breaks loose in my life, or your life, are you going to be able to stand, or will you collapse under the weight? I pray that you will stand. That's my heart's desire. I'm sure that's Pastor Brian's desire, to see that you're strong in the faith. Thirdly, have I placed my hope and trust in Christ who died for my sins and rose again from the dead? That's where our hope begins and lies and rests. For the last 2,000 years, people have not gathered to say, the stock market has risen. 
Indeed, it has risen. Well, the dollar has risen. Indeed, the dollar has risen. Employment has risen. No. My 401k has risen. Yeah. No, I'm only kidding. All of that's going to be wiped out one day. But saints come together to say, Christ is risen. He is risen indeed. That's where my hope lies. I'm, I'll do everything I can to make certain of my life being secure. But if when Habakkuk saw the Babylonian army come, when he knew the Babylonian army was coming, at the very end of the, of the book, the third chapter, he talks about even though the stalls are empty and there's no fruit on the vine, I mean, everything is wiped out. You know, he said, I'm still going to praise God. That's where we have to be. Now, Christ is risen. He is risen indeed. Application. Two, don't ever say that you're not interested in organized religion. Every faith tradition, no matter how it's organized, it is organized. I truly believe this is a lazy way of excusing oneself from being involved in serving members in a, in a local body. Now, get together. Pray for your leaders. Pray for one another. Therefore, humble yourselves before God and one another and follow your pastor as he follows Christ. Because isn't that what Paul said? Paul said, follow me as I follow Christ. He was right to the Corinthians when he mentioned that. Again, Pastor Brian, thank you. This church is truly blessed to have this man as your shepherd. He's faithful to the scriptures and faithful to you because he loves you. And he knows one day he's going to give an account to God as every pastor will give an account to God for the work that they did among the flock. So pray for your beloved pastor and pray for your elders and pray for your future deacons and deaconesses and pray for one another. A, sec a second application, return to the scriptures. In other words, read and reflect on them. Maintain your devotion, your devotional time with them. Talk to God and don't hold back anything. He already knows what you're doing, what you're feeling. He understands everything about you. And get connected in the church family. All right, my last illustration, and I want to close it with Vincent Van Gogh. A year before his death, Van Gogh painted The Raising of Lazarus. That's right. You can look it up, The Raising of Lazarus. It appears that Van Gogh's life was on the mend as he began to face the truth about himself. Or maybe he moved further on along down the line. But this painting is blindingly yellow. In fact, Van Gogh even put his own face, a portrait of his own face, on Lazarus coming out of the tomb. Here's a man who is expressing his hope in the resurrection. The author of the book, McKnight, says, Yellow tells the whole story. 
Life can begin all over again because of the truth of God's love. Each of us, whether with actual yellows or metaphorical yellows, can begin to paint our lives with fresh hope of a new beginning. Oftentimes I hear people say, I have faith. I ask, faith in what? Or faith in whom? It's not enough to have faith. You must have an object of faith. And the object of that faith must be Christ and Christ alone. Christ doesn't share with any other hope because he alone is our hope. And so I leave you with this, these questions. Have you trusted Christ to be your savior, to take away your sin, and to give you new life? If you said yes, praise God. And if you haven't, then you need to make that right with the Lord. If God's speaking to your heart right now, even where you sit, cry out to God and say, God, save me. I'm a sinner. I, I don't want to die and, and be cast into the lake of fire. Save me. I believe that you live again and you will forgive me. And I want to say to the Christians, if you believe, if you believe that Christ can save you unto heaven, do you believe that he can save you from day to day, whatever the circumstances are? He certainly can. Gracious God, thank you for this time. And Father, I, I just want to close with this verse. And now may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing that you may abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen.